0: The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. The story of Jesus' baptism raises some pretty serious questions for those of us who are wanting to know more about our faith, wanting to know more about what baptism is. Why is it important? What does it mean? Does it make a difference in the way that we live our everyday lives? The last few sermons here at the well have been about wells. We thought that it made sense that since we're naming this service the well, we needed to have some sermons about wells. And so we discovered pretty quick on, Will and I did, when we were looking at different scriptures that would work and different sermon series that would be good and fitting, that there are plenty of talk about wells in the Old Testament. It's not hard to find those passages. And they talk about the wells as being the source of life for the people. But when you move into the New Testament, you don't really find that many stories about wells. And it kind of surprised me when I started looking for it. I just assumed they're in the Old Testament. They'll be in the New Testament too. But what we found was there's a shift in talking about water. When you move from the Old Testament, you're talking about wells. When you move to the New Testament, you're talking about baptism. And baptism is talked about as this source of life that comes through water. And so that's what we're, we're talking about today. We're talking about Jesus' baptism. It's that shift from water being the, the source of, of physical quenching of thirst, the, the, the physical part of life. The water being the, the thing that quenches our spiritual thirst. So it was just another Sunday at this particular church. But this Sunday was a little bit different. Uh, everyone had gathered together. There was going to be a big celebration. You could look all around the congregation and you could see young faces. You could see old faces. You could see familiar faces. You could see faces of people who had never been there before. Something special was going on this particular Sunday at Gravely United Methodist Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. It was 1987, and there were bad clothes and big hair everywhere. And some of that bad hair and and bad clothes belonged to my family. There were members of my family who had shown up at church that day to watch me be baptized. See, I was the first grandchild in the family on my mom's side, and so all of them arrived because they wanted to see the first grandchild be baptized. And all of my dad's family lived there in town or just outside of Spartanburg and Greenville, and so they all made the trip in. It was a special day, not just in the life of this church, but it was a special day in the life of my family. It's always an exciting day when there is a child being baptized. I was six weeks old. I was as cute as I could be. The preacher called my parents forward with me, and they arrived at the altar rail. And they were all standing there by the baptismal font. And the preacher spoke some words and then asked for my mom to, to hand me to him. And he was holding me in his arms and he spoke some words. And then he dipped his hand into that baptismal font. And he sprinkled water on my head. And as he did, he uttered these familiar words. Joshua Lee Blackwelder, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born through water and the Spirit you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm told that it was an exciting day. I'm told that all of my family members were there. I'm told that I was as cute as I can be. But I can't say for sure if any of this happened the way that it was told to me. I was just too young to know. I was only six weeks old. I wasn't able to look around and take it all in and start forming memories that would last for the rest of my life. I just wasn't old enough to know what was going on or why it was such an important day in my life. You see, as United Methodists, we usually baptize infants. It's one of the most distinctive things about what we do here as United Methodists. It separates us in the way that we treat baptism from almost every other Christian denomination. But I think it's one of the most important and unique things that we do as United Methodists. Now, the reason that we baptize infants is because we believe baptism is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace To put it more plainly, we believe that it's not just about what we are doing. We believe that it's an act that God is doing. It's the act in which God works through the water and by the power of the Holy Spirit to claim us as His beloved children. It's an act in which we're having our slates wiped clean so that we can start our lives fresh. And living according to God's will. We believe that there's nothing that an infant can do for himself or herself. They're totally dependent on whoever it is that's giving them care. They can't eat without help. They can't bathe without help. They can't get dressed without help. They are totally dependent upon their caregivers. In the same way, we as humans are totally dependent upon God. We can do nothing apart from the grace of God. What better way to symbolize that than the act of infant baptism? So as we grow up, We realize that we don't always do what we should. We don't always do as we could do. We don't always live into our baptism the way that we should. So, I've had people ask me when they decide to recommit their lives to Christ, when they want to start acting in accordance to God's will and living their lives that way, they want to know if they can be re-baptized. They want something to be a visible reminder, a visible sign to everyone around them that they're making a change in their life. And so they ask if they can be baptized again. It's a fair question. And then I tell them no. See, we don't rebaptize as United Methodists because it's a covenant that can't be broken by God. Baptism's a one-time thing. If you think about it in terms of a marriage, you can't get remarried again unless there's a divorce that happens somewhere along the way by both parties. Well, with God, you can't be re baptized. Because no matter how far we run away from our baptism, no matter how far we may run away from that covenant that we've made with God, God never runs away from His part of the covenant. That baptismal covenant is never fully broken. And so, what I offer to these folks who want that visible sign of a way to recommit their lives to Christ and to live into their baptisms is a reaffirmation of those baptismal vows. Again, it's kind of like a marriage. You want something to recommit your life to that that person, you reaffirm your marriage vows, right? Right? So, that's something that we'll be doing later on in the service, is a reaffirmation of our baptismal vows, so that we can all recommit our lives to Christ. We can all reaffirm those vows that we made when other people were baptized, when we said we would nurture them. We can reaffirm those vows that our parents, or we may have made, when we were baptized. See, it gives us a chance to remember all of those people who may or may not have been present at our actual baptism, but who have taught us what it means to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. One of the most beautiful things about baptism is that it connects us with Christians throughout time. It connects us with people like Jesus. People like John the Baptist. It connects us with all those other folks that we hear about in the New Testament who were baptized. It connects us with people like John Wesley and Martin Luther and John Calvin. It connects us with all sorts of people throughout time. Connects us with other United Methodists. Connects us with other people who aren't United Methodists. It connects us with each other. It connects us with people in the other services. It's baptism. It brings us together. So when a child is brought forward to be baptized, and we as a community of faith, as baptized Christians, as beloved children of God, agree to raise and nurture this child and one another in the Christian life, we aren't just making that covenant with the people that are in the room with us we're making that agreement with christians throughout time and throughout space we have absolutely no idea when that child is baptized what that child's spiritual journey might look like down the road see it's a leap of faith on all our parts to agree to raise and nurture these children in the christian life not knowing what that might hold for some of us it might be a little easier to be nurtured For others of us, we might have needed a little more nurturing along the way. I know on that day in 1987 when my parents brought me forward and they agreed to raise and nurture me in the Christian faith, they had no idea what all that would mean. I I imagine they had some idea that it would mean they would have me in church regularly. I imagine that they had some idea that they would be praying for me on a regular basis and for themselves and for our faith together as we grew as a family. They did well. As I was growing up, my parents would talk to me about our faith. They shared their stories of faith with me. They would read the Bible to me before I was old enough to read. And once I was old enough to read the Bible on my own, they taught me the importance of doing that regularly, daily. They took me to church. They cultivated a strong faith in my heart. But on that day in 1987, when I was baptized... I'm also fairly certain that they had no idea how much prayer would take place 18 years later when I would stop going to church when I arrived at college. See, when my mom and dad made that commitment 18 years before to nurture me in Christ's holy church, that by their teaching and example, I might be guided to accept God's grace for myself and to profess my my faith openly and to lead a Christian life, they took it seriously. They didn't just say it that day and then forget it. When my parents found out that I was no longer going to church when I went to college, they started praying even harder. Every conversation on the phone with them would lead back to, why don't you just go to church, give it a try. Have you prayed about it? What do you think God's telling you to do? See, they cared. They tried. Even when I didn't seem to care or didn't seem to try. They did everything in their power to uphold the covenant that they made with God that day in 1987 when they brought me forward to acknowledge that I was not just their beloved child, but I was a beloved child of God. It would have been easy for them to have given up. It would have been easy for them to just chalk it all up as me going off, living by myself for the first time, trying to get out some of those extracurriculars. It would have been easy for them to look the other way and hope that I would just figure it out someday. But they didn't do that. They took an active part in my faith. For about five and a half years, I stopped going to church. I may attend a service here or there if I was home on vacation. But other than that, I never stepped foot in a church. I don't know why. I just didn't think I needed God. I thought I was smart enough and knew enough that I didn't need religion to make it through life. The start of my second year of seminary, I was home one weekend. And my mom mentioned that something looked different in my eyes. I looked like I was more at peace with life. She asked what was different, and I told her that I had finally decided to stop running. I had finally given in to God's call in my life to to go into the ministry and embrace that baptism that took place all of those years ago. And my mom looked me in the eyes, and she told me that she had been praying for me every single morning when she woke up, and every single night before she went to sleep, that I would finally stop running from God. She'd been praying that prayer for almost six years without ceasing. She took her vow seriously in 1987 when I was baptized. As I learned more and more about baptism and what it means, I started to think more and more about how faithful my parents had been throughout my spiritual journey. I gave them plenty of reasons to stop caring. I gave them more than a few gray hairs along the way. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized just how important these vows that they took were when I was a child. See, they were non-negotiable for me. They were non-negotiable for my parents. Those vows that they took were a two-way street. In those times when I gave them reasons to give up, and in those times when I called them to question whether or not they were strong enough to keep nurturing my faith, that faith that I kept rejecting at every turn, they would remember that they weren't the only ones making a vow that day when I was baptized. They would remember that there was a sanctuary full of people in Granville United Methodist Church that were making a commitment to pray for me. That were making a commitment to pray for my parents. And that were making a commitment to raise me as a child of the faith. But there was another vow that was being made that day. It was being spoken by God. It said, Joe, Deanne, Josh is your child. He's my beloved child too. You love him. I love him. His life may not be perfect. He may not choose me every time. I'm sure he won't choose you every time. He's going to bring you more happiness than you ever thought possible. He's going to make you proud. But he's also going to bring disappointment. And he's going to bring some pain and sadness. But I want you to know that in the good times and in the bad times, I'll be there. I'll never turn my back on you. I will carry you all through this journey. You are all my beloved children. See, every person that's baptized either makes these vows or has them made for them. And every time there is a baptism, God makes that vow too. they are vows that we can and probably will break along the way in our lives. But those vows that God makes when someone's baptized, they're stronger than anything. He'll never break his part of the covenant. Earlier in the sermon, I mentioned that many of us might not remember our baptisms. We were just too young, especially if we grew up in the United Methodist tradition. But I was only partially correct when I said that. No, many of us aren't going to remember who baptized us. I didn't. I had to ask my dad. And when he told me, I still didn't know who the guy was. Many of us aren't going to remember what the day might have looked like, whether it was sunny, whether it was rainy. Many of us aren't going to remember what we were wearing or what our parents were wearing. We aren't going to remember all of the particulars of that important day in our life. But remembering your baptism means so much more than just all of the specifics. Remembering your baptism means remembering the promise that was made by you, by those around you, and by God. It means remembering that you're loved and that you are called to love when we start to remember our baptisms in those ways, when we look past all of the fancy clothes and the big hair and whoever the pastor may have been at the time, when we look past what the font may look like, how beautiful it may be, or which family members were present, we find a beautiful, simplistic act of rebirth, of restoration. If you can't remember all of the details about your baptism, it's okay. Let me tell you what's important. When that water touched you. It was the kiss of God claiming you as His beloved child. Loved, perfect, and without fault. That's what's so important about baptism. That's why we do it. That's why we continue to do it. And that's why at times we come forward to reaffirm our baptisms. Because it's good for us to remember that God made us. That God loves us. And that God calls us to love one another.